0: Open your Bible to the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8. We've been talking about revival. We're going to continue talking about revival today. One of the things that we need to realize is that revival is not something that we work up ourselves. Revival is not something that man instigates from the outside. Revival is more than just being emotionally hyped up and emotionally charged up for God. I was a youth pastor for many years, and we take youth to camp. We take them on mission trips, and it was almost like clockwork. You could take them, and they'd spend a week at camp or a week on the mission field, and you figured you had two good weeks when these kids were going to be super fired up and after about a couple of weeks it just kind of kind of wind down and so in our carnal way of thinking you know we want to just have activity after activity to try to keep keep them you know so it's like a balloon you keep kicking up in the air that's not what true revival is true revival is not just getting people excited for a time that's why true revival can't be something that man does or man motivates true revival is not a work of man true revival is a work of the Holy Spirit and revival is not just a short window of excitement Revival is a changed and a transformed life. Now, when we're born again, when we become children of God, the Bible is clear that our lives should change. There should be a transformation. And we need to read the Bible in its entirety to understand that that change and that transformation is not seen instantaneously it's not that our lives change overnight we are changed instantaneously when we are born again by the grace of God but the change that takes place in our life is the same change that we see when a baby is birthed in the natural so you look at all these little babies here they're little right now but in the process of time By the grace of God and by the miracle of life, these babies grow up and they mature. Well, that's the way that we grow up and we mature spiritually. That's why the Bible talks about patience and allowing patience to have its perfect work. But we should be patient, but patience does not mean that we should not look for and believe for and expect that we would see change and experience change. So when we speak of revival, we speak of something real and powerful that we are to experience the same way we are to experience the new birth and the changed life and the changed heart of the new birth. So I want to read to you the first 17 verses of Romans chapter 8. He condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I want to read that verse to you again. I want you to hear this. But if the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together father in heaven by the power of your spirit by the power of your gospel let this word be implanted into our hearts let it change and transform us let it awaken us let it renew us let it revive us let it transform us for your glory we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's go back and let's go through these verses. There is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation. When you read your Bible and you see words like therefore or for. There is therefore. That therefore is there for A reason. Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For? So look at this. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. For? Why is there no condemnation? For? The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So, why does Paul write what he wrote in Romans 8, 1 and 2? Because of what he wrote in the preceding verses. So, let's go just a few verses back to chapter 7. Let's look at verse 23. Let's look at verse 22. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Our flesh is sinful. You have been redeemed. But your body, your flesh, your fleshly or your carnal mind is still bent Towards sin. This is why the Bible, if you read carefully, especially Paul's writings, what Paul is commanding us to do is to renew our mind. Remember, I'm like Noah. I came off the ark after living 600 years in the old earth that doesn't exist anymore. And when I walk off the earth, the, the ark, all I know is the memory of the earth that's in my mind. But I'm now standing in a different place in a different time. The earth just experienced a flood. And everything is different. I have no memory of the new because I've never been in the new before. I only have the memory of the old. So what does Noah do? He walks through the new earth. He walks through the new creation and he renews his mind to the new. And so what happens to the old? Well, he still has the memory of the old, but he's not living in the old. He's living in the new. So he's got to renew his mind to the new that he's living in. When you're born again and you become as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, when you become a new creation, now you have to walk in that new creation and you have to renew your mind to the new creation you've become. And this is what Paul is saying. Before I was born again, before God brought me from death to life, sin is at work in my body. It's a law, the law of sin and death. It controls me, it rules me. I have no hope of escaping it in and of myself. And Paul goes on, you look at this, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, because of this law of sin which is in my members, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Question mark. Answer, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There is therefore now... No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of, the lo- of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You were bound by the law of sin and death, but in Christ Jesus you have been set free by the law of life of the Spirit in Christ. You were bound in sin. You are free from sin now. In Jesus, So the question is, are you walking free from the law of sin and death? Or are you still entangling yourself in sin? Jesus has set you free. That's why Paul can say there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Let's go on. For the law... What the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did. For what the law could not do, God did. Notice what it doesn't say. For what the law could not do, it doesn't say you did, because you couldn't do it. Why couldn't you do it? Because you were trapped in sin and death. You were hopelessly trapped. And you were trapped until someone set you free. Who was that that set you free? I thank God for Jesus Christ. Now in Christ. I've been set free from the law of sin and death. I live according to the law of of Christ. The law of the spirit of life in Christ. Verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Why? Because the flesh is sinful. God did. How did He do it? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. If we could have worked our way out of sin, then there was no point in Jesus coming. If I had a heart and a mind that could obey God, all I needed was a little bit of help from God, then there was no reason for Jesus to come and die. Jesus didn't come and die because we needed a little bit of help. Jesus came and died because we were utterly helpless, trapped by the law of sin and death. And unless Jesus came, we would have remained trapped in sin and death, and our fate was sealed completely sealed in sin and in death. So what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. Christ condemned sin in the flesh. Why? That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Why did Jesus come? Why did God send his son to condemn sin in the flesh? So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Who fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law? Did you and I fulfill it? No. Who was The only one that was ever meant to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. Was Adam the one? No, Adam was not the one. When God created Adam, did God know Adam would not be the one to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law? Yes, he knew exactly that Adam would not fulfill it. The point of creating Adam was so that Christ could come. And Christ could fulfill it. So that the new man, the new humanity, the second Adam, and all born again in him would fulfill the righteous requirement as they walk in the Spirit, as they are in Christ Jesus. So Jesus is our law keeper there is a righteous requirement. So when Jesus came, God didn't go, well, you know what? That law stuff didn't work. I, I gave that to man, but man couldn't fulfill it. So let's just throw the law away. Let's just let's be done with that. Now let's try something new. Let's try Jesus, my son. That's not, that's not how it works. The law is good. The law is holy. The law is not bad. We're bad. The law must be fulfilled. The question is, who's going to fulfill it? The law's point was to help us understand that we can't fulfill it. Only Christ can fulfill it. So we don't trust in our ability to fulfill it. We don't ask God to give us more power to fulfill it. We say, God, what the law shows me is I am helpless. I am hopeless. What hope do I have? Ah, Jesus is my hope. So the law brings me to Jesus. The law brings me and reveals to me my hope. And what do I trust in? I trust in Jesus, who is the law keeper. Who fulfills the righteous requirement of the law. Look at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So the us who walk... By faith and not by sight, us who walk in the Spirit, that's what it means to walk in the Spirit. That's why the Bible says we're commanded to walk by faith and not by sight. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. We are to trust in Christ to be our law keeper while we, do what? While we strive to be pleasing to Him in all things. While we strive to be pleasing to Him, we need to understand that I'm not striving to gain merit with Him because that's not how that works. God favored you when He gave you the gift of faith and by grace caused you to be born again and become His child. We're not working to get more favor from God. We're not working to get a better love from God. We're not trying to work our way up from the bottom and get as high up on the ladder as we can. That's not, that's not it. We have the favor of God in Jesus Christ. To walk by the Spirit is to trust in Jesus. It is to be His and to live accordingly. So when we are born again, what does God do? We learned this in our Sunday school lesson today. It's what we're talking about. God gives us a new heart. And out of that new heart. I have new desires. Out of that new heart. I have love. The love God put in the new heart. Now I can love God. Because God poured his love into my heart. Now I can love others. Because God put his love in my heart. And so now. By the grace of God. I have a new heart. And out of that new heart. I set my mind on different things. So this is verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So what you set your mind on is what you live according to. If your mind is focused on sin all day long, guess what? Your life is going to be defined by sin if you're trying to stop sinning, stop setting your mind on sin. I battle high blood sugar. So when I eat ice cream now, I usually eat sugar-free ice cream. But the reality is, I shouldn't be eating ice cream anyways all the time. I used to eat like a half gallon of ice cream every, about every two or three days. I love ice cream. If I sit around and think about how much I love ice cream all day long, how much I want ice cream all day long, not only am I going to become miserable and probably give into to the temptation of eating ice cream all day long, it's not a good thing. If I sit around and think about how I need to stop thinking about ice cream, what am I thinking about? Ice cream. So what do I need to do? I need to set my mind on different things. I need to give those things to God. So one of the the most important things you can do is just come to God and say, God, take, take these thoughts. And then you pick up the Scripture and you begin to renew your mind, wash your mind with the truth of God's Word. Now, ice cream is the least of the world's problems, right? There's people struggling with a whole lot worse things than that. But the point is, if I spend all my time thinking about my sin, then all, all I'm doing is focusing on my sin. I need to think on who? Christ Because when I think about my sin, ultimately I'm thinking about who? Myself. Whatever context it's in, I'm thinking about myself. We need to focus our minds, fix our minds on him. This is what Paul writes in Colossians, the third chapter. Set your minds on things above where Christ is, not on the things of the earth. And Paul wasn't saying live a life of denial and just pretend like nothing is really as it seems. No, that's not what Paul's saying. We should never live in denial. We should live in reality and deal with reality. But we deal with reality by setting our minds on Christ. Because Christ knows better than we know how to deal with the reality of our circumstances and our situations. We are powerless over our sin. Christ defeated sin. So what do I need to do? Not spend my time focusing on sin. I need to spend my time focusing on Christ. Not spend my time focusing on my problems, but spend my time focusing on the one who knows how to deal with with my problems and the one who can give me the grace to walk through my problems. So what is your mind set on? Is it set on the things of the flesh or is it set on the things of the spirit? It's an important question to ask yourself. Verse 6, for to be carnally, that word carnal is fleshly. We're contrasting flesh and spirit. So, when you go to the Mexican restaurant today and you are order carne gassada, just ask the waitress, could I have an order of flesh and gravy? Carne gassada sounds much more appetizing than flesh and gravy, right? But that's what it means flesh. So, Paul is contrasting the flesh with the spirit, the temporal with the eternal. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. This is a matter of life and death. The carnal mind, the mind set on the flesh, is hostile against God. We're talking about things that, that lead to life and death. If you spend your life, thinking of and being carnally minded it's not leading to a good thing in any sense in an ultimate sense or even in an immediate sense we can in immediate sense we can be in situations and circumstances and be so fixated on the flesh that we can experience the death of things we can experience the death of vision the death of Our joy, the death of our peace. You understand what I'm saying? This is why Jesus said, trust me. Look unto me. See how I take care of my creation. You are more valuable than birds and flowers and the things out there that don't worry and stress out and become fearful like you are. So you don't worry and stress out and become fearful. Trust me. And I know that sounds like it's trivializing maybe the things you might be walking through, but it's not. Jesus wasn't trivializing anything when he taught us to trust him in the face of everything. So verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, This is why we shouldn't be carnally minded because the carnal mind is enmity. It's hostile. It's actively hostile against God. He goes on and he says, For it is not subject to the law of God, nor can be. Not only is it not willing to be subject to the law of God, but your carnal mind cannot be subject to the law of God. Why? Because it's fundamentally opposed because it is of a different nature than God is. Your carnal mind is not spiritual. So here's what's not happening. When you read and study the Bible, when you come to church and you hear sermons, you come to Sunday school and you do Sunday school lessons, you read, you're not making your carnal mind more spiritual. You're not, by reading and studying the Scripture and asking and praying, you're not making your flesh more spiritual flesh doesn't become spirit the carnal mind doesn't become spiritual this is why paul writes to the believers and he says you have the mind of christ when we renew our mind what we're doing is we're learning how to think with the mind of christ instead of our old carnal mind we're not fleshly beings becoming spiritual we've become new creations we are spiritual in our new nature, in our new birth. So don't ever think that by reading and studying the Bible, you're simply making your flesh more spiritual. Remember, what does God want to do with the flesh? Only one thing, he wants to kill it. He wants to crucify it. That's what the cross is for. Verse 8, so then, because the carnal mind is hostile against God, because it cannot, be subject to the law of God, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Uh Uh-oh, that's trouble. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let's go back up and let's look at verse 1 again. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So there's a condition here. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. At first glance, we might say, oh, Well, but if I'm walking according to the flesh, if I'm in the flesh, then there is condemnation how do I know whether I'm in the flesh or whether I'm in the spirit? Do you judge that by your behavior? What does the Bible tell us? How are we to walk? By sight or by faith? We walk by faith, not by sight. So we need to be grounded in faith. I'm not saying that we walk blindly. That's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible doesn't say deny everything you see. No, the Bible says deal with the things you see from a foundation of faith. Deal with the things you see being grounded in your faith. Walk by faith and not by sight. What happens when my life doesn't look spiritual, doesn't feel spiritual? Does it mean that I have entered into condemnation? I am now no longer in Christ? Am I moving in and out of Christ based on how I feel? Based on how I'm performing? based on what my life looks like, am I moving in and out of Christ? No. Nowhere does the Bible teach us that we move in and out of Christ. That's, that's not our salvation. That's not what Jesus came to pay for. If, if our salvation was that trivial, that shallow, then we have just trivialized the Son of God and the sacrifice He made on the cross. Because He went to the cross... He gave his life to achieve, to actually achieve something, to actually secure something that is our salvation. So how do we understand this? Well, verse 9 gives us the understanding. So verse 8, So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If we're in the flesh, we cannot please God. And if we're in the flesh, we are still condemned. But if we're in Christ, there is no condemnation to those who walk according to the Spirit. Verse 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he is not his. He is not whose. If anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he does not belong to Christ. If you belong to Christ, if Christ has redeemed you, if you are His, the Bible says you are no longer in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. And if you are in the Spirit, there is therefore now no condemnation. Why? Because you are in Christ. So the question is, am I in Christ or am I not in Christ? Now let's go on. Look at verse 10. And if Christ is in you, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Or we could say it like this. The body is dead because of your sin. Christ had no sin. It wasn't the sin of Christ. Christ was sinless. Whose sin brought death? Our sin brought death. So the body is dead because of your sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Not my righteousness because we have no righteousness. Because of the righteousness of Christ. So the body is dead because of your sin, but the spirit is life because of christ's righteousness so what did god do when he caused you to be born again he gave to you his very own righteousness and when he gave you his very own righteousness he gave you the fulfillment of the law through faith in jesus because he did to you just like he did to abraham he accounted it as righteousness when Abraham believed God. So through your faith, God accounts to you his righteousness. So in Christ, you're no longer in the flesh, you are in the spirit. That's why there is therefore now no condemnation. If you belong to Christ, then you have been set free from the law of sin and death. If you belong to Christ, there should be a witness in you. So when you sin, let me ask you, Do you know you've sinned? When you do things that are contrary to the nature of God and his righteousness, contrary to the nature of Christ, do you feel that in your spirit? Do you feel that in your heart in the depth of your being? If you are a child of God, the answer is yes. If you ever find yourself struggling with sin and lamenting over your sin because you know that it displeases God because it dishonors God, that actually is good news because that means that the Spirit of God on the inside of you is revealing to you the things that are contrary to Christ. So what should you do when you experience that? The Bible is clear. Repent. What does the word repent mean? It means to change your mind. Change your thoughts. Change the way you think. Now, I wish it was just that easy. It is that easy to to repent, to change your mind. God gives you the grace to do that. But it's not a magic bullet. It's not like flipping the light switch. Remember, we go back to how do you change your mind? You renew it. What does that mean? You wash it with this word. So guess what, if you never open this Bible and you never read this Bible, it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, for you to have a renewed mind. At best, you're going to struggle with sin and sinfulness and sinful thoughts. You will never experience the freedom that Jesus came to give to you. And if you are able to go through life and that not bother you, and your sin not bother you, that's when you should really be fearful. Because if your sin doesn't bother you, that's a very fearful place to be. Because if the Spirit of Christ lives on the inside of you, your sin should bother you. To the point that you ask God to give you the grace to repent of it to walk free from it, to live free from it. Not because you're trying to earn your salvation, because you can't earn your salvation, but because God has given you salvation. And if God has given you salvation, and he's given you new life in Jesus, why would you not want to walk in that? If God's given you a new heart with new desires, why, why why would you resist that? If God has loved you, why would you not love God? And if God has put his love in your heart, why would you not love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates? For those who are in Christ, God has made a way for you to walk in life. It's called the resurrection life and power of Jesus Christ. We have no excuse but our sin if we do not. Now let's look at verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Think about that, church. Three days after Jesus was crucified, God raised Him up in resurrection life and resurrection power. Paul says the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Now what what we all really need to do, what would all do us some good, is if we went home and we took verse 11, and we spent some good time meditating on what Paul writes in that verse for us to really stop and consider this reality that if you are in Christ if you have been born again you have been born again with the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead and that spirit will strengthen your mortal body what does that mean? what is Paul talking about? Let's go back to the beginning of this chapter. Paul's talking about walking in the Spirit and not walking in the flesh. Paul Paul is talking about us realizing and knowing and being assured that if we are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. Because we've been delivered from the flesh, we've been delivered from the law of sin and death, we live now according to the law of the Spirit of life in Christ. We have been set free from sin We couldn't help but be sinful before. Now, we've been set free from that. Our sinning and our sinfulness now is a choice. It wasn't a choice before. It is a choice now. And if we have been set free from sin, why wouldn't we live free from sin? If we have received the Spirit of Christ, why wouldn't we walk in the Spirit of Christ? And so Paul says, how are you going to do that? How are you going to be spiritually minded and not carnally minded? I mean, you know, this flesh is real. Cut it and it will bleed. You feel pain, you feel real emotion. Your carnal mind is real. It'll drive you if you allow it. Or you can be led by the Spirit. So what's Paul saying? Paul is saying God has put his spirit on the inside of you. He's not just done invisible things. He's not just given you the assurance of going to heaven one day when you die and you just are left here to do the best you can until then. No, he said he's put inside of you. Listen, church. He has put inside of you the very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And that Spirit that raised Christ from the dead will strengthen your mortal body. He will give you power physically, mortally, to walk free from sin. He will give you the power to resist temptation. He will give you the power to demonstrate and to manifest the love of Christ, the life of Christ, and the Spirit of Christ, and the fruit of the Spirit He has done that by giving you the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And if that spirit can raise Jesus from the dead, surely that spirit can strengthen your mortal body and cause you to walk in the spirit and not according to the flesh. Now we're getting to the crux of revival. Because revival isn't just a hope so, maybe so, a wishing for. Revival is a walking out. When will we see, when will we experience revival? When we realize that God has put the very same Spirit in us that raised Jesus from the dead and it becomes our most earnest and greatest desire that we would manifest that life in every way, in every form possible. That that would become our greatest desire because that is how God will be glorified in his church when his church begins to look like him when his church begins to walk like him when his church begins to talk like him when church isn't just a place i come on sunday because i need to do my penance but church is who i am church defines the person i am 24 hours a day seven days a week for the rest of eternity if i am in christ It should define how I work. It should define how I play. It should define how I think, how I talk, how I walk. It should define everything. It should dictate everything. Does that sound unreasonable? It's not. God has done this throughout history. It's why we're sitting in this building today. Because God by His grace and by the power of His Spirit has built His church and He will continue to build His church. The question is, what part do you want to play in that? What is your heart's desire? To honor God and to glorify Him with your life? Or to use God as a lucky charm to give you all the things that you want? So that you can glorify your own life. Now we don't think of it that graphically. But that's really kind of the crux of the matter here. Am I living for myself? And I'm keeping God handy so I can have his seal of blessing? Or is my life for him and for his glory? Now now Paul gets to this He gets to the heart of the matter as we go on here. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Verse 12, verse 13. For if we live, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For we, for you, did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. You did not receive the spirit of bondage, you received the spirit of adoption. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that is the spirit of adoption by which our heart cries out, what? Abba, Father. What is your heart crying out? What is your heart cry to God? There's a lot of people angry with God. Their heart cry is, God, why? Their heart cry is a cry of anger and doubt and fear and rebellion. But Paul says, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You've received the spirit of adoption by which our heart cries out, Abba, Father, Because we have come to see by that Spirit that Christ is our only hope. That God is our Father and He is a good Father. Regardless of what our earthly fathers may or may not have been, our Heavenly Father is good. And He has put a Spirit in you to cry out to Him, Abba Father. Verse 16 The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Does your spirit bear witness? Does your life bear witness? Could you be convicted in a court of law of being a Christ follower? Is there enough evidence in your life to convict you of being a follower of Christ? The myth of a silent witness is just that. It's a myth. Yes, we need to witness with our lives, but if we never open our mouth and never allow the truth to be heard, how are people, they, they, they could just as well think you're a Buddhist or just a really good person. Let more than your life speak, you speak. And let your life back up your speech. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed, look at this, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now this is the part of the gospel, the part of the good news, we don't like to talk about. We've got people who have built mega ministries on never talking about suffering, never uttering the word suffering in a biblical context. I want you to see the context. Paul talks about suffering. He says if we are children of God. Then we are heirs of God. And joint heirs with Jesus. If indeed. We suffer with him. That we may also be glorified together. So how do we suffer with him Hold your place there or doesn't matter I'm pretty much done there Go with me I want to read some scripture to you Luke chapter 9 verse 23 Might might do good for you to write these scriptures down How do we suffer with him Let's let the scripture give us the answer Luke 9:23 then he said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let's go to Romans six. 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Write these down. First Corinthians chapter six verses nineteen through 20. Don't take my word for it. Go to the Bible yourself and read these scriptures. First Corinthians 6:19 through 20. Paul writes, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, which belong to God. Galatians 2.20 one of the greatest verses in the Scripture, I believe, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. There is the gospel in one word, in one verse. Galatians 5.24 Galatians which things are symbolic, for these are two covenants. I'm sorry, I think I just quoted the wrong one to you. Huh? Oh, just because I'm reading 4.24, Galatians 5. Say, I need to get to the right chapter. 5.24, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh, With its passions and desires. Philippians. This is just a very small sampling. But I wanted to give you enough so that you would believe me. And believe the scripture. Philippians 29, For to you it has been granted. Look at this. For to you believer. For to you child of God. It has been granted on behalf of Christ. Not only to believe in him. Are you thankful that God has granted to you that you believe in him? But Paul says not only that you believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Well, that's the part we don't like. Let's just leave that part off. One last verse. Philippians 3, verses 10 through 11. that i may know that i may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means i may attain to the resurrection from the dead And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. How do we suffer with him? Because we must be crucified with him. What does that mean? It means our old man, our old life must be put away. God does not want to spiritualize your flesh. He wants to crucify it. He wants to kill it. He wants to put it away. And raise you up in new life. And put in you the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. To strengthen your mortal body. This body of flesh that's going to die. That's going to perish one day. To strengthen it to do what? To strengthen it to walk in the spirit. To strengthen it to manifest through these fleshly members. The love of Christ. The life of Christ. The fruit of his spirit. Revival is intensely personal. It's powerfully transforming through the power of the cross. There is no revival if there is no cross. There is no gospel if there is no cross. The cross is not just the resurrection, the cross is the death and the resurrection. There is no resurrection if there is no death. Like it or not, here's the gospel. You must die. You must be destroyed. You must cease to exist so that Christ can live in you and through you. You must be crucified with him so that he can become your life. So that his spirit that raised him from the dead can dwell in you and strengthen your mortal body. That you would become the very witness of Christ in this earth. Do you desire that? Do you want that? Or do you want to just go through life and live your own life and do your own thing but have the promise of heaven? Because after all, who wants to go to hell, right? You weren't created for that purpose. You were created to give glory to God. You were created for God. And your life is to be for Him. Not for yourself, not for anyone else, but for Him first. But here's the beauty of it. When you make Him first, when your life is for Him, then everyone, including yourself, will benefit and will experience the joy and the glory of all that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Amen.